0: On this episode of Playtime, from the Australian Pink Floyd Show, guitarist David Fowler, I'm your host, W.C. Turk. about Pink Floyd a little bit. And uh, your, your time is a premium. You guys are live tonight.
1: We are, yeah. I've literally just walked in a venue now from the two of us. The Rialto Square
0: minutes. Theater. Yeah, right. I, I grew up out in Jul- uh, Joliet, and and I know it well. Uh, my, uh, my mom used to uh, used to work in that very theater. Uh, many many years ago, before it was it was all refurbished, but uh, it's a, it's a great place. It's a great hall. Uh, I, I just I had a conversation a few years back with uh, Jason Bonham, who played there as well.
1: I've met him a couple of times. He used to play in a band with a friend of mine.
0: Yes, yes, a very famous father.
1: Yes, well, yeah, he played, <laughs> and the famous father's our bass player, Ricky. His dad was in quite a few. Big bands, and also played with Jason Bonham at some point, so we got a link with the band as well through that. Okay. Team, so,
0: wow, great! Yeah. All right, let's uh let's start this way. I've got a I've got a little introduction that goes a little something like this. There are many Pink Floyd tribute bands, but only one that has the honor of performing. And 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 by the way, uh, the video is just for our back and forth. Um, so this That's... will be an audio interview only, but. If uh, if Nessie or, or one of these space aliens walks through the room behind you, brother, uh, I'm posting that. Other than, other than that, we'll be good. Ah, that's so good. That's so good. Uh-huh. All right. There are many Pink Floyd tribute bands, but there is only one who has had the honor of performing at David Gilmore's 50th birthday party. And only one that doesn't simply sell out shows, but a whole tours. And I might add, only one <laughs> has the incredible voice of Laureline McBroom who has also performed with the original Pink Floyd. Keeping the dreamscape alive, the critically acclaimed Australian Pink Floyd show is on an international tour and performs at Joliet's historic Rialto Square Theatre, which I know very, very well, on Tuesday, tonight, uh, September 12th, 2023. That's for posterity. Uh, for a 7.30 show, uh, David Fowler uh, is with the band. He's joining me uh, with the... Uh, and, uh, from from the Australian Pink Floyd show uh backstage right
1: yeah 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 i'm sitting in uh, the dressing room my dressing room in uh Joliet at the moment nice. in
0: Illinois. nice nice uh the the website by the way is aussiefloyd.com uh we've got uh, about 6 hours before the show i think that gives us enough time david to uh to get through song by song at least a couple of the uh of the first pink floyd albums does that does that work for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's do it <laughs> all right yeah well we could we'll just talk for hours uh no i'm we, not i i won't as, we'll as, keep you for the...
1: as long as long as you want until 2 p.m when i have to do something else
0: <laughs> well you know i was i was i was gonna say you can carry this on stage and we can we can babysit through the show for you yeah yeah i could show you sound check via zoom <laughs> there you go but uh but well welcome to uh welcome to the playtime podcast how you doing buddy I'm good
1: mate how are you
0: I'm wonderful wonderful thank you um i don't I don't know why I said pm uh it's not like you guys are uh, are playing a breakfast show uh so in in case anybody showed up 12 hours early uh you're uh you're 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 gonna be on tonight at 7.30 p.m
1: yeah that would that would be a, that'd be correct there's only one 7.30 in my day. Well, there's two. If I too late, but
0: um. <laughs> well, well, one when, when you sleep through and then, or when you drive through, you guys are, are you guys just getting in today?
1: Yeah, so we we had a day off here yesterday, and okay. um, it was a nice day, um, not weather wise, but um, oh. we yeah we went out, had some good food. A few of us got together in the evening and mm-hmm. played poker. It was nice, and uh, yeah, and then. Yeah, had a relaxing evening before getting up today and coming from the hotel to the venue.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned Lorelai McBroom, who's a who's a very very good friend yeah. of mine. Uh, we're we we're, we're friends on Facebook, and uh, I I and I just did a podcast with her and Durga uh, about their should be famous father. I, d- I don't know if you know that that story, but he My- was instrumental true. in uh, in. In the the Robert F Kennedy uh, campaign back in 1968, and he was there at the hotel the night that that Robert F Kennedy was was shot. He was, yeah, he was, yeah.
1: yeah L- uh, Lorelei's probably one of my best friends in all the world, and she, I mean, she lived with me pretty much during the pandemic because we were on a European tour and it got taken off, and and she. Stayed at my place rather than coming back to America because New York was having a bad time at that time. And um, but uh, you know we we we're always at each other's places and and hanging out and whatever. So uh, so yeah, it's lovely to hear you talk so highly of Lorelei. Oh,
0: I I I love her to death, and and she's she's a wonderful she's a wonderful talent. And she's taken this tour off, right?
1: Uh, Not all of it. Some bits of it. Yeah. um, There's just a few things. I mean, I, I without going into specifics, you, yeah. you get to a, you get to a certain age, and believe it or not, she's actually several hundred years older than she looks. And <laughs> you know, well, we will, we a... will edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. No, it's it's a joke. It's a joke that we have between us that that she's four hundred, but she covers it up very, very well. <laughs> that's that's the running joke that we have. But no, there, there comes a. There comes a point where you just need to do certain little bits of routine maintenance to yourself and if you're always working yeah. and always touring you're always putting it off and there comes a point where you go well I, i'm not going to put this off so i need a little bit of time out but yeah she has she was there for a few weeks of the tour and she will be back again before the end and she'll be there with us in the uk later in the year so that'll
0: be Nice. that'll awesome. When, when i heard that uh that she wasn't going to be um be there for the full tour and and i heard about the stones new album part of me <coughs> a, a, a part of me clicked off and went is she, is she gearing up for for a stone tour? she she toured with the stones you know she did
1: and funnily enough when i was 10 years old i saw her with the stones at wembley stadium
0: no kidding
1: Absolutely. 1990, Wembley Stadium, um the Steel Wheels and Urban Jungle Tour, I think that's what it was called. And uh, and it's mad to think if I'd gone back in time and found my 10-year-old self in the Wembley crowd and said, see that woman on stage, in 30 years' time, you're gonna be living in a house together, you know, in a band together. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I would have believed it, but um
0: isn't it isn't part. it crazy how, how fate works? Hmm.
1: Certainly, an interesting life.
0: Did did you did you ever imagine that you would be here with the Australian out in Joliet, Uh, but but here in, in in this moment in time with this band, the Australian Pink Floyd show, doing this this work?
1: I think mm-hmm. if I'm being honest with you, if you'd gone back to me as a child, mm-hmm. uh, I say a child, but let's say a teenager, and said. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be in this band that's, you know, tours the world playing Pink Floyd. Do I think my arrogant teenage self would have been like, yeah, of course I am.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> because that's kind of what I was doing at school. I was playing in bands at school and we were doing Pink Floyd covers. And so to me, it would have seemed like an obvious place for me to end up Mm -hmm. at that time so i suppose actually looking at the data it is an obvious place that i've ended up where i am but with hindsight the amount of things you have to do to be able to get a gig that's this solid you know forget about trying to make it as a musician and you know put your own music out become famous or whatever i mean obviously Mm -hmm. i haven't done any of that i'm playing in a tribute band but just to be able to get a gig of this size and keep it for 13 and you know in more years hopefully you yeah. know it's it's a tough road and I don't think my younger self appreciated quite how much work and effort and knowing people and having to be in the right place and you know and put myself out there to, to, and, and make the right contacts to get it so I don't think I'd be surprised but I think that's mainly just naive arrogance of my teenage
0: self. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the machine speak with a lot of artists uh famous artists and and local artists who want to be famous uh but you know this is this is a very strange time for music uh the live music has come back strong but not for everybody and you guys have consistently uh proved your your mettle
1: yeah, I think, I think, I mean, you talk about certain things coming back and and um, obviously working music, I know a lot of different artists, you know, original artists as well, yeah. who are working on various different levels, some of them are playing arenas and stadiums, and some of them are playing sort of clubs to four five hundred people maybe less and and some, um, and
0: some of that's by by design uh, yeah Martin Barr somebody, is, yeah, is a wonderful friend and and he loves he's played he's played the largest halls in in the world, the largest stadiums in the world he loves the intimacy of small clubs
1: oh absolutely and I mean this 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 big artist not that I know them personally but I mean I, I, a few weeks back before this tour okay. I went to see blur at Wembley Stadium they sold out two nights at Wembley Stadium. One hundred sixty thousand tickets sold over the two nights. But then the guitarist also plays in a band with his girlfriend, and sometimes they play places at like two or three hundred capacity. And yeah, it doesn't bother him whether it be a stadium or something small. So I mean, and that that's 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 a nice thing. But the problem is, is that I think touring when you're a band that of play to say four or five hundred maybe even seven or eight hundred people a night particularly if you've got to have crew and you've got to have some sort of set and you know take about a decent amount of stuff with you like i mean we do we've got trucks and trucks of stuff you know to, to to carry around and people on tour buses and whatever it basically stops being financially possible because there's a point where if you're not at a certain level, the costs are just too high to get into that. And I really do feel for a lot of young artists that um, that are trying to do it because I mean, in the '90s when I was a teenager and going out and doing my stuff, it was a lot more. You, you could just kind of turn up places and you cobble together stuff and drive around in a van that doesn't really work and whatever. <laughs> I mean, just in love, just. It, it, you, you can't drive certain vans in so you'd have to have something of a certain standard and then you'd have to pay the congestion charge you have to do this and then there's another charge there and then the fuel's so much more expensive and before you know it it's 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 impractical to yeah, you know, get sort of six people in a splitter van and go around the country and play you know 10 or 15 shows in pubs that you might only get 50 people turn up to you know in in a way that you could kind of do that and get away with it in the in the 90s and the early noughties so luckily this band reached the point where they could you know be financially um stable enough to tour long before any of those sort of extra expenses and things got too expensive so you know we are lucky but
0: i know a hard... the... yeah go ahead
1: i was saying it's a hard world out there for musicians at the moment
0: it it is uh, but i so i know i know the music well, i know the music of pink floyd but i also know i also know what you guys do uh in the australian pink floyd show very well um i've i've heard i've heard so much so much of your live stuff to Pink Floyd who aren't nearly as successful. Is, is it the music? Is it the show? Is it the integrity to the sound? What what makes the Australian Pink Floyd show the, the top of the heap?
1: I think it's a whole, whole host of things. I think some of it is timing. As I said, the fact that the band started earlier meant that um you know we could reach a level where we can put on a show and have various where someone's starting now it would take probably you know well over a million dollars to launch a new Pink Floyd tribute show and have all the right look and the lasers and something to compete and be able to take it out on tour and if it doesn't sell somewhere you know you could be looking at losing tens to hundreds of thousands a night a, a night or a week or, you know yeah, yeah on something like that. So I think I think part of it's timing, but I think that would be underselling what the Aussies did before I joined. And I think it was their mm-hmm. dedication. And when I hear the stories about, you know, the five original Aussies, you know, writing an essay in nineteen eighty eight in Adelaide about where they wanted to be in 30 years' time. And they and they had a plan and they had a concept um, and almost a discipline about how the show was going to be done. And I think that's what's continued. It's it's the it's the discipline of it, and it's that it doesn't matter what other people are doing, and there can be new yeah. things being thrown at you all the time and you know, wild ideas, but but this is what we do, and we do it well. Mm-hmm. And you know, someone else might be going, Oh, well, we're they're doing a Pink Floyd show, but they're getting rid of the circle screen and making the whole thing. Yeah, you know, big LED screen at the back and they're going to be you know, adding extra musicians or whatever. People might like that as a reinterpretation, but fundamentally, when you stick to doing the music with the right feel and doing it as faithfully as could be done, whether it's, you know, keeping to the album or keeping to a well-known live version or mixing a few different versions together as songs, as long as you've got the feel and you're keeping it mm-hmm. to, dedicated to the Pink Floyd sound, I, I I think that, and then the 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 history of the band and everything else, it all comes together. Great management, having a good agent, you know, people like you that want to speak to us as well, and and you get all of that stuff all all mixed in, and 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 then one feeds the other because we've got to where we've got. Then more people want to speak to us, and then people want to put us on, and then it allows us to. At some point, it becomes a, a snowball effect, and and. Yeah, it's a huge amount of luck in it, but I think the dedication of the original Aussies and their game plan for the whole thing that they set out over 35 years ago, I think is uh, is the key to our success, if there is one.
0: I used the word tribute a few moments ago, and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit uh, on that. The Australian Pink Floyd show is more than a tribute band, right?
1: I I mean, that's that's very nice of you to say. I mean, we are a tribute band, but I think the thing that makes it different is that Pink Floyd were fairly faceless, right? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: um, Because of that, we're not going out, putting on wigs and costumes and, you know, running about the stage pretending to be Mick Mick and Keith or Brian (laughs) and Freddie, that kind of thing. So
0: So no dashikas are coming out for the early stuff.
1: No, no, absolutely <laughs> not So it's kind of like It's kind of we can be ourselves on stage So we're the musicians playing the music And trying to do it faithfully As I said, and with the right feel and whatever But we're not pretending I'm not getting up there and pretending to be David Gilmore In <laughs> terms of like look Or the way I stand on stage Or So from that point of view It becomes It's not a direct analogy But there is It is kind of somewhat loosely analogous to a uh an orchestra playing sort of classical music if they go out and do do an evening of of assorted pieces you know they're not they're not trying to be the original artists because obviously you can't but the audience are still hearing the music done beautifully and that's kind of what we're doing with pink floyd only of course we have the light show and the videos and other bits and pieces. Uh, So from that point of view, Pink Floyd make it very easy for us to not put on what I would consider a a, sort of a cheesy show or a parody sort of show, which um, moves it up to another level. And I've seen people do Pink Floyd shows where they try and dress up like them, and I think you really don't have to. And funnily enough, there's other tribute bands out there. Now I see Queen and Led Zeppelin tribute bands that are going out that are not doing the whole dressing up thing, and they're just saying, no, we're going to play the music and be faithful to it and i think that overall i think that will win out because it will take some of that i mean you you said it yourself you're almost cringing saying the word tribute band right yeah. and, I, and i get it. it it's a kind of a cheesy term that conjures up ideas of kind of wigs and, and costumes. yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of stuff yeah. and, and don't get me wrong i have no intention to disparage what any of them are doing you know that mm-hmm. the, they're all
0: everybody finds yeah. their own market niche
1: and, and uh, but that's not for me, and I think it helps. I think it helps the fact that we're we're doing this um in the way that we do that uh-huh. that gives it an air of of being in a slightly different place. Which which again is down to Pink Floyd. That's just more <laughs> luck than judgment.
0: Well, a part of so part of the reason that that I brought that up was was for this. So uh, over the weekend we lost jazz bassist Richard Davis, who played with van morrison and miles davis bruce springsteen paul simon david was was 93 but all of these artists are getting older and and the way you do the show you you, you carry the music forward is, is mm. would, would that be would that be a fair assessment
1: think we we give people an experience i mean even pink floyd yeah, themselves yeah. they changed the way they played it so i think we give people an experience that's akin to something an imagining of what it would be like if that audience were back watching pink floyd so when we do peaks, yeah. we kind of want to make people feel that they're sitting in the audience in 1977 you know we don't want to be doing the the 1994 version of of shine on you crazy diamond you know we want to be doing it as people would have heard it in the mid 70s you know and mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. and i think again it's it's all about the feel it's not about even playing the right notes i know people's like oh i shut my eyes and it sounds exactly like the album and you've got everything note perfect and people say stuff like that and and, and the truth is, is is we don't have it note perfect but we do have the feel of it and and if you give people the feeling that they're in a particular place and a particular time, you know, and then you can transport them around during the show, you know, when that you can make them feel like they're in 1994 when we do High Hopes, and you can make them feel like they're in 1975 when we do Shine on Your Crazy Diamonds. You know, you're you're really giving people an experience, and and yeah, that that's. that's, that's books
0: about it <laughs> yeah yeah that that's that's an important legacy in and of itself i i was just speaking uh, a very very good friend of mine is ronnie marmo who does uh who's been selling out shows he's he sold out 426 shows even during covid at, at a time when theater is contracting he does he does a show called i'm not a comedian i'm lenny bruce he sees it as his mission each night to do right by by Lenny's legacy, it is is that a driver for for David Fowler and and the rest of the band?
1: Yeah, I don't. I yeah. I mean, obviously, not for, not
0: for Lenny Bruce, by the way, but for, ben, for ben, Pink no, Floyd. For
1: <laughs> it, it's it's Pink Floyd as a collective, rather. I mean, yeah. Again, that thing is. I mean. You could um you could look at it like my job is to go out there and, and and sort of like embody David Gilmore and give people the David Gilmore feel. But again,
0: no, but just be to true to, to the uh, material.
1: Yeah, it's it's about giving the, the overall Pink Floyd feel because mm. you know David Gilmore and his solo band doesn't always sound like Pink Floyd. I mean it sounds wonderful, but I don't think that's his intention. Is it's not to, he's not intending to go out and do a Pink Floyd tribute you know he's doing his own thing and if he plays a Pink Floyd song it'll have a different feel to it. so it's it no one member or one part of the sound makes Pink Floyd sound right it's about getting it all together and bouncing off each other in the right way and having the vibe so so yeah we we go out there and, and just stay true to Pink Floyd and sometimes for us to sound like Pink Floyd, we have to do something slightly different because we're different people and we gel in a different way. And it's there's no rules to it. You know, so sometimes you can be playing something for 10 years that you think, oh, I've nailed this and we've got this great. And then one day you hear something, you are listening to the Floyd song and you go, oh,
0: there's
1: this little thing and the way it bends up. Oh, we'll try that and you kind of talk about it and go when do I do that well just accent the symbol there when it and then before you know it it's stepped up to a whole new level it's like wow this is so much more fluid and then when you listen to the last 10 years worth of you doing that song you think oh my God that sounds awful it's nothing like but it says it's always a work in progress and there's always improvement and and uh, as long as we're striving for that you know we we hopefully, stay doing what we're doing it's,
0: it's
1: <laughs> but so, yeah i mean uh, floyd
0: is just amazing for that yeah. so so, much- so you'll notice that that i'm not going to ask you what people can expect to hear tonight uh and you certainly you guys certainly play those better known songs but you're also sort of teachers in the world of of pink floyd right expanding people's appreciation of the band
1: i'm glad you said that because there's, there's two schools of thought. There's one that you give the audience everything they want to hear mm-hmm. um, and never play anything that's ever going to send them to the bar, so to speak. And uh, because of that, in the past, we've had various discussions where people said, oh, well, we won't do that song in America because the American audience didn't know that particular era of Pink Floyd. You know, they got Pink Floyd later when... Mm-hmm dark side came out and maybe went back a couple of albums so we won't do for example CM play or or on Lane or something like that I'm, mm-hmm. and i'm i'm personally in the opinion that as long as you give people sort of 90 to 95 percent of the show that they know and they go you can put in a percentage of stuff that they don't know yeah. and then people go oh, i really like that song but i don't know what it is and they'll go and look it up and discover a new bit of Floyd. that and i I personally like doing that. There's other people over time that have disagreed and thought that 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 sometimes maybe we did too much of that one year or whatever, so we roll it back a bit the next year. But uh, yeah, there's this these new bits of Floyd catalog and boot like bootlegs and stuff that that I'm introduced to all the time oh. by people. You know, so, so you can't know it all and sometimes someone will be talking about something you know what albums? that's i haven't heard that in years and you'll put it on it wow i'd forgotten about that i mean they've got so many albums and so many albums that people haven't you know the the general mainstream pink floyd album uh, but pink floyd audience who haven't heard of certain i mean you do something from more and and you know 90 percent of the crowd's like what's this but when you're talking about a Sid Barrett chain that might be two and a half, three minutes long, you know we can sneak one of those in there and and give them something they're not expecting, and they'll go, "Oh wow, is this even Pink Floyd?" It's like it is, but if you tried to do that with a 20 minute piece and no one knew it, yeah, yeah. we're not away with it easily. Which, um,
0: but but do you do you find that there's a mix of people who are are hardcore? Um, Pink Floyd fans, or or people who just know the hits, or or is it is it a mix?
1: It's an absolute mix, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's obviously it's 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 a it's like a bell curve, I'm sure. And at mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum, there's people that literally only know another brick in the wall, part two, money, and comfortably numb. Yeah, maybe absolutely. learn by as well. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's people that if they Put um, they were put up against me in a general knowledge quiz. They'd know the day the album was released, the day the songs were released as singles, you
0: know, yeah. you know, oh, and
1: there was an edit that was done in Japan where they missed out that <laughs> note on the guitar, you know, and, and I'm certainly not a geek like those people. And then the majority sit somewhere between. And, you know, if you tailor the whole show for the people that know the least,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you're going to have a pretty bland show but if you as I was saying if you push too much for the fanatics then you're going to lose the the middle and um I I like to just kind of say right this is this is this is the middle this is the safe zone and let's just shift it up a couple of percent towards the more obsessive people I think that's that's where you kind of hit the sweet spot of it and and obviously being a in a band where you can do sort of two two and a bit hour two and a half hour show you know as long as we give them two hours of stuff they love you know you can sneak in 20 minutes
0: (laughs) do 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 you start or do you rehearse a a set playlist or or are you changing it up all the time
1: no so at the beginning of the beginning of the year um we kind of have too many songs we go through them in pre-production get all the lights get all the lasers everything like that yeah make sure they're rehearsed and then we'll go out quite often in the first few gigs and play either too long or we'll rotate songs around you know or we'll do this one night and that <laughs> and another night or whatever and it becomes pretty obvious when you put something in front of an audience Never do it once because you could play something and have no reaction, then the next night get the biggest cheer in the world, you know. So never do it once. But after five, six shows, you know what's working, you know, but that, that doesn't work in that order. Sometimes it's just the order of songs. And sometimes there's just what I call it the 45 minute lull. It doesn't matter what song's in at 45 or 50 minutes into the first set or whatever, there'll be some people that will be getting up to go to the toilet and go to the bath. And you think, is, what, why are you? this song this is an amazing song and then you think oh we'll, we'll put that later so that that and then they'll get up during a you know during that song anyway because it's just it's just a, a concentration span there's a there's a
0: built-in there's a built-in energy level i i was i was talking All about right. this with uh with leo sayer about about the duration of pop music and and obviously uh pink floyd uh who still does really old, timeless timeless music the my my wife and I were just talking about it. and and I'm much more into music than she is, but she was she was just taken taken aback about how how fresh the music still sounded. But, it so, does. yeah, indeed. But so Leo and I were talking about about the the energy level that's imbued in pop music that that there's unless unless you're very skilled as a musician, you can only go four or five maybe six minutes without exhausting the audience and the musicians right is that does that make sense
1: yeah i mean I, it all depends on what you what you've got to work with and how well known the material is because going yeah. out and playing a 15 minute or a 13 minute song when the audience already know it and they're on your side is a hell of a lot easier than being a new artist trying to introduce something like that. And um, again, it's a, it's always comes down to, it's not just about the music or just about people. It's also about the time that it was in. And Mm -hmm. let's face it, that sort of early seventies, mid seventies, there were a lot of people doing things that are, Hugely long, you know these 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 sort of go out on stage and jam yeah. something off an hour while hippies sat cross-legged on the floor smoking <laughs> things that they shouldn't have been smoking at the time. And I think that that was a culture. Obviously, that was a culture that existed that that doesn't exist so much now. We we you know the the you talk about pop music, but you know the, the younger generation are sitting there getting bored three seconds into a tiktok clip you know it, it's it's a totally different environment so i think to try and launch a band like pink floyd now to it would would take way more effort and 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 almost i wouldn't say it would be impossible but be close to impossible compared to what happened i mean in the in the septic you know you all know this So i mean i grew up buying albums in the 80s and the 90s that and and if you spent money on that album and you had to go and put it on, whether it be on vinyl or a CD or mm-hmm. put it in tape and Walkman or whatever, and you'd you listen to the whole of that album sometimes because, you know, you pay good money for that and you want to hear every last detail on it. And sometimes just because if you're going out and you're getting the bus somewhere and doing whatever, and you can only take one tape with you, maybe two have one in your pocket or whatever, you're going to listen to all of that. Taste it, yes, yeah. In a way that nowadays people don't even bother downloading the things because it's just live stream. Use your data connection, get it. And if you, if, if whatever you're listening to doesn't capture you, you know, hundred percent within the first thirty seconds, you just move on to the next thing, you know. And it doesn't matter whether it's music or it's YouTubers talking about, you know, giving information, or sort of educational videos or entertaining videos. It's just this quick. Sort of yeah. turn around. Music,
0: music is sort of, sort, of, sort of suffers uh, its own embarrassment of riches. Everything is is at your fingertips and immediate.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the day and age we live in. And again, it, it's amazing time that Pink Floyd did what they did when they did, because I don't know that it would be as possible now. You know, and there there are people out there that are doing really really wonderful things musically um that are not getting you know not getting the audience that they're that that they deserve because because of the, the the modern world doesn't allow people um the the time to actually really understand and absorb what what the artist is trying to do but um you know you have to work with the parameters you're dealing with at the time to try and do whatever you want to do you know and that's that's the same the same is true for, for for pink floyd back in their day if they wanted to do something i mean when roger waters first did the wall and um you know put it on with the band in eighty eighty one, i mean he said himself he couldn't do the show that he wanted to do back then because the the technology and the limitations and whatever whereas when he came to revisit it into 2011 in 2012, and I believe he toured it through to 2013. Yeah, you know, he could do what he had in his head back in the late 70s because the technology had moved on. So imagine having to having a concept for a show and still not being able to fulfill it to its dream for another 20 or 30 years
0: because because of the that technology. Was, that and was the evolution in the and the arc. But the, those guys already had a really strong background. I, I think that that's evident <laughs> from. Uh, from from their their the first 1967 single uh Arnold Lane uh which is this campy man ray meets the beatles bauhaus mashup that you know just speaks speaks to that that artistic vision that was that needed to to catch up with or technology needed to catch up with <laughs> you
1: the Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean that I think that material as well, that serious it has become significantly more popular since uh, Nick Mason has been doing uh, yeah. his source for Lourdes. um you know, which is a fantastic band, and um, I know uh, a couple of guys out of that, um, and one of them is pretty well, Lee, and uh, he came to see us earlier this year, actually, in, in one of the French gigs we did. Uh, he's a wonderful chap, but, you know, I think because of what they're doing, they're really opening people's eyes to a, particularly in America where the, the Sid Barrett era and the pre Side era was not anywhere near as big and when people discovered you know, Side, they probably went back a couple of albums and watched live at Pompeii and that was it, they certainly weren't for the most part unless you were a diehard fan going back to the Sid Barrett era stuff so yeah
0: um, so do you have really- do, you, do you have a have a favorite uh, a favorite era or or maybe a, a a favorite album that that you gravitate to?
1: With my personality, is probably the wall. Okay, that's my okay. favourite. I, I would say the overall, the big because,
0: theatrical I mean, conceptual. I mean,
1: yeah, well, as a guitarist, I feel that you know the, the the guitar work on the wall was probably some of David Gilmore's finest guitar work mm. that he's done. I mean, he his guitar work on previous the previous albums is also epic, and but there's something like really confident about his playing even though the band were going through some you know tumultuous times if that's the right word they um he's playing on that album you can hear in his sound there's a confidence and there's a there's a kind of i'm just gonna do it you know and Mm -hmm. like me me playing it just kind of you can hear it there another brick in the wall part two salo particularly you can hear that kind of like
0: there, there's the no confidence kind of, in where uh, he's going to go from note to note.
1: Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like, you know, he, I, I've heard different stories, but the one that I've heard the most is really that it was just one or two takes, you know, and he just yeah. kind of plugged in and played something. And there, there's, a, there's a frustration and an anger because of what was going on at the time, but I can hear it in his playing, but it makes it much more, much more sort of pointed and and he I uh, I just love the playing on that and I love that the atmosphere that Roger you know sort of conjured up and the and the, the 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 sound of the album and the and the production of it and I I'd then say second to that although the songs I don't feel are quite as good mm-hmm. um the production and the mix on the album the final cut I mean it's just okay. one of the most beautiful Sounding albums um, you could ever listen to, but whether you put it on his speakers or headphones, I mean, before I do a mix of a song for anyone, if I'm mixing a song for someone, I almost always will put on the final cut from the final cut and listen to it because that is one of the best produced and mixed songs that that exists out there. And Roger has continued to do that, I think, with his his music, I mean, his last solo album, I think is a sonic masterpiece. So uh, it's, it's, it, it's it, really an underrated
0: me, album. And, and is the, yeah.
1: for me. the Wall's the peak for me. Whereas Dark Side was all about the feel and all about the songs and, and it's uh-huh. really beautiful. But it, it has that kind of, that, that raw and that you can hear the limitations of the, 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 the equipment they were recording at the time. Whereas the Wall just sounds still in a modern context, just sounds Amazing.
0: Well, you know, I, I could keep you all day. Um, but you you you're busy and uh you've got a lot going on and you've got a you've got a show tonight at the uh Juliet, um Realto Square Theater. Um so let let me just let me just paint this picture for people and you can fill in the gaps a little bit. I'm I'm also a writer, I'm an author, and I do a podcast for the Chicago Writers Association called Chicago Rights. Uh and, and I'm also an art historian, and I just finished a 10-year uh, project writing the history of art uh, from, from the beginning of time uh, through the Renaissance. Pink Floyd, and by extension, the Australian Pink Floyd Show, uh, I think combines music and theatri- a theatrical visual element uh, and storytelling that harkens to Greek theatre. Would you agree with that?
1: I'd agree that there are definitely elements of the show that are like that. I mean, obviously we're not acting or doing anything that I consider great theatre, but I think the lights and the video and the lasers do the acting for Indeed. us. And some some of our some of our videos, for example, when we do "Welcome to the Machine." I mean, the video for that song that's on the circle screen is like a little mini film. Yeah. It's an anime. It's like its own short.
0: You just kind sort of, of move the actors to a video uh, and and move yeah. the musicians center stage.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I the way I look at it is like we're on stage, like the orchestra playing the accompaniment music. For the show, and the show is the video and the lights and the lasers, and we're there to, like almost as if the orchestra pit had been moved up a bit so the audience can see it, <laughs> you know. But the actors are are the lights
0: and the video and the
1: lasers.
0: Have a great show tonight, man. Um, this was it was it was wonderful getting to getting to speak with you and and say say some wonderful things. Thanks. Uh, but by the wow. way, you're you're up. So you're up in in Kitchener, uh, in Canada, in uh, shortly, and uh, I've I've got family there. You're also going to be in Germany, right? I've got family everywhere. Germany. You guys can tour.
1: Yeah, Germany is next year.
0: Nice, nice. That's incredible. Um, David Fowler is the guitarist for the Australian Pink Floyd Show. Uh, The Australian Pink Floyd Show is currently on an international tour and performs at Joliet's historic Rialto Square Theatre. Tonight, Uh, the website is aussiefloyd.com. Go see this show. You will not be disappointed. Thank you, brother. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope I
1: didn't uh, go on too much in places. Once, Once I get started on conceptual stuff, I can talk way too much so. that's what i'm here <laughs> for
0: and and you know I, I'm, I'm an old radio guy and all these years we talked with great artists and could only give them a segment or or even even a couple of segments at most um but podcasting is uh is a great way for people to c- sort of let their hair down and and speak their mind and that's what i'm here
1: yeah for. i mean that's my Podcast format for that exact reason. You know, yeah.
0: And, and I get, to, I get to splice music in and around this conversation and make it like you guys do on stage every, every night a multimedia affair.
1: Perfect. Well, it's lovely to chat with you. Are you going to be at any of the shows? Will I get to meet you?
0: Unfortunately, I've got a full boat of of interviews tonight. You guys are, are out of town, back on the road. So next time you come through, uh, I, I would love I would love to come see you guys And shake your hand And see the show Brilliant We'll I right.
1: will look forward to seeing you then You Next too year, I'm
0: sure Alright David See you later Be well Do see my later. best to Lorelei right. Bye Will do Take all your overgrown infants Away Somewhere And build them a home A little place of their own the of tyrants and kings My heartfelt thanks to David Fowler what a great conversation and thanks to all of you who listen A link for tour Every dates day. for the Australian Pink Floyd show are in the notes below Feel free to share this podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast simply by clicking the subscribe button. For playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. Mr. Bagan, and friend. Mrs. Thatcher. The Paisley. Mr. Brezhnev, party. The ghost of McCarthy. And the memories of Nixon. And now, adding color. The group of anonymous Latin American meatpacking literati.